Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. We believe the book of Galatians was written at a period in which we can surmise that Paul is at least partially estranged from both the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem. The church at Antioch, we know that he had had a confrontation with Judaizers, including Barnabas, who we read about this morning. We know that the church in Jerusalem, there was a tension there. We don't quite know the extent of it. They've sent emissaries that Paul is going to call the teachers, I think in a kind of ironic fashion. They're claiming to be the leaders of the church. And they've come in then after Paul was there. And so Paul is isolated in many senses. And Galatians is written, we believe, before Romans. And it's going to take up very similar issues that we read in Romans. But in fact, in Romans, he's going to spell these out in a less harsh way, maybe. Partly because the Roman church had many Jews in it. We believe that these Galatian churches probably are in northern Galatia. And there really was no Jewish population there. And so as a result of these factors, Galatians gives us deep insight into what we might call an apocalyptic nature of the gospel. That is, the gospel is breaking into the world. And just as Paul has been steadily shunned, so too the gospel is one that really does not have ties to the former world, whether in Jerusalem, the Jewish church, whether in Antioch, the church there, or really it's greater than that because Paul's going to call it the cosmos. He says, I've been crucified to the cosmos, to the world. And the gospel in Paul's presentation does not build upon the law of a cosmos. And that's really the rhetoric that he had been trained in. And so it's not just Jewish law that he's concerned with. Paul's conviction is that he can proclaim the gospel only in the presence of God who makes the gospel occur. That is this argument and style that we're going to encounter in Galatians is a new form of argument in that it presumes one cannot use standard rhetoric and we believe Paul was in fact trained in rhetoric. He's not going to use those arguments. Argumentation and reason are going to themselves be changed up in the gospel. The gospel, as Paul describes it, is God's own utterance. It's creating its own world. It's not subject to the usual rational criteria. And this pertains to Paul's references to the cosmos in that All the instructors in rhetoric, for example, they take for granted that the basic integrity of the law, and by law we don't mean Jewish law, they just mean the laws of the universe, that reason is according to these laws, and these instructors assume that in any debate, you're going to determine the winner of the debate according to how they follow the laws. And each side of a debate will call upon the same structures which everyone can agree on as existing as part of the basic laws of the universe. And thus, instructors in rhetoric assume 
that the winner of a debate, he persistently, most persuasively, calls upon a commonly held body of understanding, the body of the law, the meaning, the elements, the basic elements. That's the way that Paul is going to refer to it. He takes his bearings not from the order of the cosmos, the reason of the cosmos, but from the good news that is in Christ and in the act of new creation. God has invaded the cosmos. And that's what I mean here by apocalyptic. A basic part of his message is the announcement of the death of that shared world, that shared cosmos, with its legal elements, with its reason, and there's an emergence of a new cosmos with its new elements and its new understanding, and we call this the gospel. And so look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so he's not talking to Jews, he's talking to Gentiles. All people have been held under this law of the world. It's just a basic element of the world. And for Paul, the relation between rhetoric or argumentation is highly significant. As he describes, there was a time when the human race was childlike and you had to reason with them like children in that they were subject to the laws of the universe, to the world. And to be under the power of something is not simply, you know, that's not a Jewish problem, that's a human problem. All human beings are subject to these powers, these powers of reason, we might even say. There is a universal state of enslavement to these elemental principles. And the only remedy is to break through. And this is what God has done. He's broken up this world. He's broken into this world. And the Galatians, and we, do not need a persuasive argument. They and we need to be taught by God. And that's what Paul is claiming. Very much as he says in 1 Thessalonians, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We have a word from God, and it does not depend upon the elemental principles of this world. This is the way to see the cosmos, a world that God is bringing into existence as his new creation. And Paul describes this in 6.14. He calls it a being crucified, a dying to the world. He says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The newness of this cosmos 
brings about a new form of thought, a new relationship to the world, an understanding of a cosmic recreation. Chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Now, no one is justified by the law. That's evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Here's the new principle. Here's the new form of thought. However, the law, he says, is not of faith. And so this is an example of Paul's new form of argument, a new basis. And throughout the letter, he's not going to pose two things. In fact, he's going to undo that. He's going to use antinomies or opposed pairs, but in a new way. It's not faith over and against law or spirit over and against flesh, as if he's comparing and contrasting these things. He's going to say that spirit is invading the world. He's going to say that faith displaces the law. One system is replaced by another. And this is not a simple argument about some sort of addition. It's an announcement of a new order of reason. The Galatians and we need to wake up to the basic rationale of the New Testament. Look at 3.23 to 26. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. We were shut up. The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. It did have its purpose. That we might be justified by faith. Its purpose is to bring us to Christ, to faith. But now that faith has come, we don't need the tutor. That world is finished. That world of enslavement and bondage is no more. We are no longer bound by the elemental principles of the world. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The power of faith, as Paul presents it in Galatians, is evoked by the gospel. That is, you can't get there from here. The gospel contains its own form of argument. It does not depend upon something that you already have in mind or some rhetorical powerful arguments. The gospel evokes its own understanding and it deconstructs or it breaks into the world order and undoes it. And so Paul's depiction of his death, the world has been crucified to me. This has happened so as to enter into the new creation of Christ. It's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. That was the old order. In the Greek cosmic understanding or the world cosmic understanding, there were always these binaries, these opposed pairs. But Paul says, no, it's not between those pairs. It's between enslavement and liberation. We were enslaved to that order of understanding. It's not as in the cosmic dualisms in which warfare was within the cosmos. New creation displacing, faith is displacing this old cosmic order. And Paul is going to say this means law, tradition, fine sounding arguments, religion, and even ethics of the old order. He says it's finished. We're done with that. And the widespread tradition Paul describes as holding the world captive, these opposed pairs, these antinomies, this basic assumption of the building blocks of the universe. Think of the knowledge of good and evil. That order of understanding is finished. These opposed pairs 
were thought to lie at the foundation of the world, but now they've been undone in Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no circumcision. This is amazing. There is no circumcision or uncircumcision. There, in fact, is no law and no not law. You know, that was the way that everybody, the Jews ordered the universe that way, but so did the Gentiles. Paul does not use the usual language. You know, when we talk about apocalyptic language, we think of falling stars, a blood red moon, an earthquake. But believe me, this is apocalyptic. Because he's saying, oh, this is the way you think about the world. Don't think that way anymore. The encounter with Christ, in other words, it's not an improvement on our present situation. It's a doing away with that situation entirely. It's not simply the attainment of forgiveness. It's not simply relief from guilt. It's not simply that Christ's death pays a vicarious payment for sin. In the understanding that Paul is describing Galatians, the law, the cosmos, the old order, they no longer provide an entry into this new order. Paul is arguing, you have no ground to stand on. Nobody does. Jew or Gentile. In fact, all of these explanations of Christ, in which people might reduce Christ, this is the problem of the teachers, the false teachers. They're saying, well, Christ completes the law. In the wrong sense, you might say that, but in Galatians, Paul is going to characterize this as being part of the false gospel, being taught by false teachers. And they want to make the gospel what we might call a covenantal nomism. That is, you keep the law, you kept covenant. Paul's gospel opposes this partial gospel. And I'm afraid that many of us are committed to a partial gospel. We need to recognize what it is Paul is against, because I think in part, he stands against what is often taught as the gospel. We've been subjected to a lie. And Christianity is to displace that lie. The cross undoes that world. Paul says the world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. The cosmos. He's just talking about the world that we imagine we live in. He says circumcision is nothing. Jewishness is nothing. Gentileness is nothing. Gender is nothing. Ethnicity is nothing. Philosophy is nothing. As what is taking place is on the order of a new creation. The nothing is exposed as not part of this new creation. Look at 6, 14 to 15. For neither is circumcision anything, nor is uncircumcision anything. He said, they're nothing. Well, who's that? The circumcised and the uncircumcised. Oh, that's everybody. And that system is nothing. What is something, Paul says, is the new creation. So we've gone from nothing to something. And this is not a dialectic, you know, don't think of it in that way. Between nothing and something. But it's on the order of creation ex nihilo, creation from out of nothing. The nothing of circumcision, the law, the nothing of Jewishness. That was formerly even Paul's basis for boasting. But now there is no basis for boasting. This order has been crucified, Paul says to himself. As Lewis Martin has put it, 
we have in this paragraph a stunning declaration from which the word should is altogether absent. Paul speaks about what does and does not exist, not about what should and should not exist. There is a world that we think exists, but Paul says, oh, that's not really existence. The cross has rendered one world dead and finished and buried, and the new world is now commenced. And this new world order contains a new order of understanding, which both in Galatians and Corinthians is contrasted with what Paul calls a fleshly way of knowing. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The dead and buried fleshly epistemology or the way of knowing, we can identify this. He's not talking about anything abstract here. Or even, you know, we shouldn't really even think sinful. That is, this is just the way people thought. Well, Alexandro Aphrodinesis, he believed that the flesh or something literally, you know, sense perception provided the power of understanding. The demand for circumcision, I think, is like that. The false teachers of Galatia, they had a dependence upon this power of the flesh, a kind of knowing by the flesh. And they even knew Christ by the flesh. But knowing in the new creation seems to describe an all-inclusive shift is counted in Paul's description here. Law observance or non-law observance, that's everything. Those count for nothing, he says, in this new order of knowing. Neither counts as an actually existing entity, but simply constitutes a dialectic, a false world, on the order of, I think, the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we can, there is no end to dialectic pairs, that is, oppositional pairs. We got it here in our country between the Democrats and the Republicans, or between the light and the dark, or the good and the evil, the life and death. But the point is this sort of dualism, Paul says, is characteristic of the evil age. We're no, no longer caught up in this identity through difference. Martin notes that the foundation of the cosmos has been subjected to a volcanic explosion that has scattered the pieces into new and confusing patterns. And so the cosmos founded on opposed pairs, which I think Paul just thought was universal, and I think still is universal. In 327, all of you, when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ as though he were your clothing. You've got new clothing. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ. There is a new unity that is not dependent upon identity through difference. Those in Christ and rightly recognize the, the condition, I guess that you could say they've suffered the loss of a cosmos. 
But don't misunderstand. What is lost is not God's good creation. What is lost is an order of understanding and experience that is an unreality. It's a lie. People inhabit a lie. And the work of the cross breaks through this captive power and liberates them. And this is the new age. We might think of the gospel then on the order of the speech act of Genesis. God says, let there be light, and there is light. The gospel of John talks about the word, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That is, the word spoken liberates in a continual movement. It's an ongoing speech act. The power of darkness and death or the futility of a lie is defeated by the light and the truth. Let there be truth. Let there be light. There is a new creation order and this speech act is the gospel. You know, it's not like, oh, we've got some new information now. Or we've got some additional propositions. What did Paul encounter on the road to Damascus? Did he encounter some information that he failed to take account of before? No, he encountered Christ. He encountered a new world. And the power of the presence of God is unleashed on the order of something like let there be light. The old order is exposed as a mirage, as darkness. And to imagine that you can get to the light from the darkness is to misunderstand. The law, reason, the old order is built on division. It's built on disunity. And God is calling into existence from out of that which does not exist. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's something. And so it's not a rescue attempt. It's not an effort at repair. I think we misunderstand the gospel as, oh, things went bad and now God's trying to fix it. We might think of it as a completion, but it is a completion that replaces an order fixed upon what we might call an imminent frame. That is, people lived in a closed universe, in a closed system. You know, how did Paul receive the gospel? We need to understand his argument, and this is why he made such a big deal about how he received the gospel. Go back to chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 11 to 12. I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel does not depend on anything else. It doesn't come by way of tradition. It really doesn't come even by way of the other apostles in Jerusalem. As Paul presents it, the gospel is even counter to human wisdom, to religion, to law. And so this is evident in the way he received it. I would have you know, brothers and sisters, it's not of human invention. It's not from man. I wasn't taught it. It's come by revelation. And this is important as the false teachers want to put the gospel on the foundation of tradition, on the foundation of law. Just as the church today would say we continually have to turn back to tradition. We have to follow these particular codes, these particular laws. 
And this is to set it on another foundation than the foundation which is Christ Jesus. It is to abandon the liberating power. You know, this is the, the power of tradition, the power of law, the power even of religion, the power of ethnicity, the power of identity through difference. This is the power that enslaves. And this is the order of the cosmos. And so Paul is repeating, maybe in his own words, what we get in John, that the gospel is with God and is God manifest. And Paul's gospel, you know, it's not an objective report. We're not doing history. We're not studying objective accounts of what happened in the past. But rather his gospel unleashes the Christ event in the present. What happened in Jerusalem happened to Paul. And it happened to the Galatians. Look at 3.1. Paul says, before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Were they at the crucifixion? No, they weren't there. But Paul says, inasmuch as you've experienced Christ, you were there. You've experienced the Christ event. God confronts you in the gospel. And Paul pleads, if that's the case, why do you so easily abandon it for an imitation. And so the point is that Paul's conversion and reception of the gospel is repeated wherever the gospel is preached. Don't we all encounter Christ? Don't we all meet the crucified Lord? The encounter with the risen Christ, I believe, is an experience contemporaneous with the proclamation of the gospel. We've all encountered Christ. That is the Jerusalem experience, Christ appeared, is the Pauline experience, he appeared to Paul. But he's saying it's also the Galatian experience, and by extension, the gospel, wherever it is preached, it is extended there. And so the gospel is not history, it's not an objective report of the past, but it's the present and continuing action of God in Christ. And this is faith. This is what it means to hear in faith. It is to pass into this effective present, this new cosmic order. It is to pass from the old order of knowing to the understanding that Paul calls the understanding of the Spirit. And so Paul wants to secure the Galatians in the knowing of the Spirit. He says in 3.2, this is the only thing I want to find out. Did you receive the Spirit by the law or by hearing with faith? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. He does not want them to be persuaded by anything but the power of God. Now, as I'm saying all this, you're thinking, I can see you all thinking out there. Isn't Paul himself using rhetoric? Isn't he using a form of argumentation? And I would say, yes, he is, but it's a form of rhetoric, a form of argumentation built upon a very different center. And that's being demonstrated. Paul says, am I now engaged in rhetorical arguments to sway the crowds in 110? His answer is that this gospel, this isn't the normal good news that you're used to. When you heard the gospel, you received it from God. And that's the one you have to recognize behind the apocalyptic revelation. 
I did not receive it, Paul says, from a human being. It came to me by God's apocalyptic revelation, 112. So the argument of Galatians is the gospel is by definition this sui generis, this self-contained apocalyptic revelation of Christ. Here we encounter a new world, a new word, and we are to become then a new kind of people. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.